You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Vox and Hops Brutal North America is brought to you by Indie Merch Store. Whenever I hear the term supergroup, to me, usually what it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually it's like some, a bunch of celebrities getting together and playing covers. That, that's what, it, that's what it, the image comes up with me, whether it's, you know, the Hollywood vampires or, or whoever else, where you get a bunch of kind of over-the-hill celebrities together and play some cover songs. Um, and we don't do that. And that, that was never us. We play some covers now and then, but you know, that's the main thing is original material and original music, original lyrics, original sounds, and all that. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you had a glorious weekend. I most certainly did. Because today marks the beginning of Vox and Hop's Brutal North America. Now, what exactly is Brutal North America? Well, I have paired 23 metal breweries across the United States and Canada with Vox and Hop's alumni, the past guests of the podcast, to create killer, unique collabs for their bands. All of these collabs will be dropping during the week of June 21st to the 25th, and I I am so damn excited about this. As I mentioned, Vox and Hops Brutal North America is brought to you by Indie Merch Store. I am so, so honored and stoked to have Indie Merch Store as a part of Brutal North America. When Cryptopsy goes out on tour in North America, we always, always work with Indie Merch. They make the best merch. I can tell you every time I get that merch shipment, when I'm on tour and I crack open those boxes and I pull out the shirts... I am just blown away each and every time. If you're looking for some sick band merch, Indie Merch Store is the place to go. I'm also super stoked that Vox and Hospital North America is fueled by Heartbeat Hot Sauce. You all know that I love Heartbeat Hot Sauce Company because their products are simply amazing, but I love them even more now because they have rebranded their Scorpion Sauce, which is the spiciest yet totally balanced, delicious hot sauce, which I've used every day for the past six months in honor of Brutal North America. If you are one of the first few lucky clients to go to one of the breweries involved for Brutal North America, you will be leaving with a full-sized rebranded Scorpion Heartbeat Hot Sauce bottle with the Brutal North America artwork on it. Trust me, you're going to want one of these. They're absolutely delicious. So stoked and honored to have Heartbeat Hot Sauce supporting Brutal North America. I've been working really hard on Brutal North America, and I am so, so stoked stoked and honored and excited that I am finally now talking about it to all of you. Get ready, everyone. June 21st to the 25th, Vox and Hops, Brutal North America is coming at you. If you're looking for more information on Brutal North America as to which breweries are involved, which bands are involved, head on over to voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And all of the information will be available there. Get ready. Brutal North America's here. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter, and they have now just started announcing some shows coming up for this fall. So far, they have announced Ginger 
Pleasure with Suicide Silence coming through Montreal, as well as all them witches, which will be coming through in December. They've also announced that Bloodbaths tour has been rescheduled for 2022, and we just got confirmation on the Ramstein show. It's coming back. It's going to be in August 2022. I am so stoked about that. You should go and grab your tickets for these shows if you have not already. You can do that via the link in the description of this podcast. I am super stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I would just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I'm also asking you to rate it and write a review because when you do that, more people just like yourself will be able to discover the Vox and Hops Metal podcast. Now, why exactly do I say this? Because when someone is looking for a new podcast to invest their time in, what do they do? They scroll down, they check out the reviews, and if those reviews uh, reflect their values positively, and it seems like something that they'd like to invest their time in, they will most likely give that podcast a chance. So if you were to write a review you could be the person that sways someone into becoming a future new Vox and Hops head. And that would be something that I would truly, truly appreciate. Now, on today's episode, I'm with Dwayne Denison of Tomahawk and the Jesus Lizard. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 268. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm with Dwayne Denison of the Jesus Lizard and Tomahawk. Dwayne, I'm super stoked to be with you. Let's start with a very simple question. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I mean, it's Easter Sunday. <laughs> it's Easter Sunday, and I'm having a beer and doing a podcast, so it could be worse, couldn't it? It absolutely could, yes. <laughs> I, got, I got a new album out. Um, you know, it's going okay, I guess. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about something that does suck a little bit. Uh, how did you cope with the glorious year of 2020, which is now behind us? Oh, um, you know, I almost feel guilty because I was not nearly as um, negatively impacted as, as a lot of people I know. Um, so about five years ago, I started working uh, in a library. So I have a library gig. So I had um, so my primary source of income is not necessarily music. I mean, for decades, it was strictly music. And, you know, it's it goes year by year. Some years were big, some years not so good, but others massive, others not so good. And so, um, you know, there was a couple months where everything was shut down and I was staying stayed home. But the income kept coming in. I was working from home and doing things. And then we went back to work in June in a limited capacity. So um, I still had income. I wasn't, you know, like a lot of musicians I know were just wiped out. They had you know, like a year's worth of work just go away. And especially that would really suck if you had been, uh, I feel sorry for like younger bands who this was going to be their year. They had their new album and their tour was ready and then nothing. And then older established bands who they were going to have a big money year and they were going to go all over the world and, and none of that happened. Um, and then so you know, I had money coming in and then we were able to finish the album during the pandemic. We were able to actually get it done. I think because of the pandemic, Patton had to stay home and focus and finish the goddamn thing. <laughs> so um, it, I, I was not nearly, but it was a drag. Never been so isolated, never felt, you know, you have to find things to do. Um, on the one hand, it was you know, I would play guitar in the day and work on things and work out and do things. My daughter was home. 
doing uh, school and um, my wife was working from home. And then in the evenings, you know, you'd sit around and quietly, I'd build model kits and my wife would do jigsaw puzzles and we'd play the radio, terrestrial based radio and just listen to the radio at night. It wasn't so bad, but it gets old, doesn't it? I mean, I haven't gone to a show. I haven't been in a, in a gig since the last gig I played was in was New Year's Eve 2019, 2019, 2020, right? January. And I haven't been to a show since January. I haven't been in a restaurant since March. I haven't sat down and eaten in a restaurant. Have you? I have not, actually. No, I have not. No, I've done carry out, of course, and I've sat outside, but I have not. I'm tired of cleaning up after myself. I'm tired of cooking. <laughs> I'm tired of I'm tired of mountains of garbage of carry out things. That's awful too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about being a librarian or working in a library. What what drew you to that? Uh, were you always someone that enjoyed reading? You got a bunch of books behind you right there. Yeah. Total nerd, total nerd. Um, I worked in a library uh, my last couple of years of college. I went to Eastern Michigan University, music major. And, um, and I worked in a library there and it was about the only non-music job I ever liked at all. And, um, so I got in a couple years of that, got my degree and then, uh, you know, things were, things were slowing down a little musically. I was getting older and I wasn't quite, wasn't touring quite as much. It seems like it was taking longer and longer to get things done. And I thought, you know, why don't I just get a job, just get a regular job. And I hit right when they were hiring. And so it's been it's been fine, you know. I um, working in a library is especially a public library. It's a good thing. It, it provides for people. It provide. A, a, I work at one of the big branches, so you've got besides just books. People can get DVDs. You can download things. You can come in and use the computer. They have a teen room. They have special programming. People for you know uh, immigrants want to learn English and things like that. Um, you know, it 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 really does a lot for people, and I'm happy to be part of it. And then from a strictly personal point, yeah, I read a lot. I have total access to tons of things. Um, there's always, and music too, you know, you can, with our library, if you put a Hoopla app on your phone or whatever, and you can download, you can get 15 albums a month for free. That's and awesome. Listen, yeah, and play it through your stereo or whatever you want. And so um, it's great. Every day I come across things that give me ideas, you know, whether it's a, book or something or a movie or some music or something so and my coworkers are great you know you tend when you're in a library you're around educated free thinking people and it's nice it's a beautiful environment a library it's it's something that you know nurtures and curates intelligence and uh excitement for for finding stuff discoveries uh, so i can see how it could be very refreshing to be there all the time it's, but not all the time. I mean, there, every every branch has issues, and it depends on what neighborhood you're in. Whether it's aggressive, aggressive homeless people, whether it's there's a school around the corner where and teenagers come in every day and they're loud and unruly. Um, you get angry patrons who they they think anyone who works you you're you got a government job. You're the enemy. And that mentality seems to be in the air these days. Um, so there's, you know, it's not, it's not always fun. <laughs> I can see that. It's a job. <laughs> Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. What beer are you drinking on your side there, Dwayne? I am drinking a Sierra Nevada. 
pale ale. Um, like I said, it was on sale. I bought some yesterday. I was at the grocery store. I thought, well, it's the day I'm, if I'm going to get anything, I better go before um, Easter. And I got a big bag of charcoal and a six pack of beer. And I felt like a real American man. And um, it's kind of hoppy. I like it. It's okay. It's not necessarily my favorite, but um, it's good. And you get it cold enough. Absolutely. That is one of the beers that changed my entire beer palate. So I'm happy you're drinking it. Oh, okay. Back in 2008, I was playing the Masquerade in Atlanta, and uh, that I remember the day. And it, and it's changed everything since then. On my side, I'm going to be drinking a collaborative brew from Alafu from here in Quebec, Montreal, Quebec. Uh, this is a collab with Harry Canna, which is another brewery that I love, Brasserie Harry Canna. Uh, this is a very special. They had a whole year last year where they paired themselves with other breweries, and they did like a blended version of their Rouge de Mekinac, and it was their uh, Cette année de la Rouge. It was all about that. So this is a blended version of the Rouge de Mekinac with a Brett Porter. So I have not had this before, but I'm excited about it. I'm going to pour this out. Dwayne, do you remember the very first beer that you had? Yes, I think I do. It would have been one of two. Um, it either would have been a straw. I grew up in the um, Detroit Ann Arbor area. So it would have been either from my dad pouring me a Stroh's, hmm. which was the Detroit beer at the time, or my grandfather, even when I was little, would take me down in the basement and pour me a little mug. And he drank Miller for some reason, Miller High Life. And it was either a Stroh's or a Miller. I'll, I'll, let's say Stroh's. It just sounds better to me. Um, but yeah, it would have been from my dad. Did you ever get into the whole crazy world of craft beer? Not too deeply, no. Um, I mean, it's so complicated. It's so complicated. And um when I go out, if I go out and want to, I don't usually keep that much beer at home. So for me, it's more socializing. When I, when I would go out and socialize, I would want to drink beer. Um, and I can usually find what I want from, it seems like at the bar I would go to, um, I'm, I'm fairly simple. I, I, I typically will like lagers, like anything from Red Stripe to Sam Adams uh -huh. to even Heineken. And then once in a while, I'll get a Sierra Nevada. I even like the occasional American, like simple uh, rolling rock mm -hmm. or, um, you know, things like that. Uh, um, I don't get that deeply into the craft thing. I'm not, I'm not a crafty and I'm not a foodie either. I like good food, but when people just, it, they, it becomes perverse to me when they fetishize the food they eat and will take vacations just based around food and they, I just, I, I just can't do it. And I don't like the word. I don't even like the word foodie. When I hear a, a man saying, I'm a foodie, I just, uh, <laughs> like, go away. Go put, put on some Crocs and put on some leisure pants and just go away. <laughs> I, I was wearing Crocs today and I have uh, definitely organized some vacations around beer. So uh, I, I see where you're coming out there. <laughs> That's fun. Let's talk about uh, the soundtrack of your youth. When you were growing up in your parents' and guardians' house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? Um, oh, that's easy. Um, so my parents were uh, of that kind of Depression, World War II era. And so, you know, I'm, I'm 62, and they had me when they were um, well into their 30s. So they still liked the music of their youth, which was swing, the swing era. Um, Glenn Miller, Woody Herman, things like that. My mom 
as I had mentioned, had classical pretensions and uh, played piano classical. Maybe I didn't, maybe this was a previous interview. So there was a piano in the house. Both parents played. My mom could read music and played classical stuff. My dad played by ear and played the swing and stuff. So when I was a kid, so they had swing, big band, and then all these little fads passed through. Like there was a period in the 60s when like bossa nova and um, kind of exotica was kind of around. And I remember that kind of came through. And then just pop music. I think they just liked pop. Um, and then when rock and roll started happening and then us kids got into it, that was a whole nother thing. But every now and then they did sort of like the Beatles because the Beatles, at least the songs had melodies. They had traditional structure. It wasn't um, quite as noisy or um, bluesy as, say, the Rolling Stones or, or others. So there was that. But, um, you know, big band, swing, stuff like that. Yeah, the, 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 the Stones were more dirty than the Beatles, that's for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. <laughs> what would have been your first love, your first band that was yours, that wasn't influenced by someone else, something that you discovered and that you wanted to share with everyone else? Well, when I started buying records on my own, I was still a little kid, and I was still just like whatever was on the radio. Um, and then I started getting more into rock, and... For a brief time, when I was in eighth grade, there was a spinoff. Everybody, the classic rock band Mountain, everyone remembers that, Leslie West and those guys. Well, there was a spinoff supergroup, didn't last long, called West, Bruce, and Lang. And their first album, Why Don't You, it's got a blue cover, um, was just great. And I think is a totally overlooked and underrated album. And I felt like I, at least in my little neck of the woods, I discovered that. <laughs> and I turned it on to people. And it's funny, um, in recent years, the only people I ever knew in my kind of zone, you know, the bands that I've been in and people I know in bands, the only people I knew who were aware of it and liked it and listened to it were Dale and Buzz from the Mel the Melvins. So they liked some West Bruce and Lang. So I thought, well, there you go. I love that. I just had Dale on the podcast a few weeks ago. He's yeah. awesome. Awesome. Um, let's talk about the first show, the first time that you went to go witness music. Do you remember that? Um, well, I went to little performances with my parents when I was a kid. One time my mom dragged me to the symphony. Um, one time we went to a, there was the opening of a shopping mall and uh, the Detroit Tigers um, pitcher, Denny McLean, was playing with an organ trio at this mall open and throwing balls into the crowd. And it was mayhem. It was, I don't even remember what it sounded like. It was throwing balls. You couldn't do that now. You couldn't no. get away with it. <laughs> um, the first rock concert I went to, I was in eighth grade and it was at Cobo arena in Detroit. And the headliner was humble pie, but the opening band was Roxy music. And it, this was the fall of 1972 and it was their first U S tour. And so Eno was on stage. It was like the original lineup with Eno and everyone. And it just blew my mind the way they looked. I had never heard a synthesizer. I didn't know what it was. The shrieking electronic noises. And they just looked so bizarre. I mean, everyone was there. You know, Detroit's a very lunch bucket town and everyone's there to see some, you know, working blues, bluesy rock and roll with humble pie who were great. That's who I came to see. But over time, I kind of let them go and stayed with Roxy and that that whole world and what that turned into. Um, the glam thing was very exciting at that time. Um, it seems like when I was in eighth grade, it was either glam or prog. So in early eighth, ninth, tenth grade, you had T-Rex, Mott the Hoople, 
Roxy Music, and then you had, yes, Genesis, General Giants, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I just thought that was a great time for music. Absolutely. And I, I still go back and listen to it all the time. Yeah. I love it. Love it. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsheads? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right, I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Uh, you guys just dropped Tonic Immobility. It came out on March 26th via Ipecac Recordings. Uh, it's great to have Tomahawk back. I have been a fan since the beginning. Huge fan. So that first, first record just totally blew me away. I loved it. I remember being on tour with Cryptopsy, my first tour, actually, 2007, I want to say, 2008, sorry, and we were touring in Me- Cryptops- Cryptopsy. It's an extreme okay. death metal band. Well, we were touring cool. <laughs> we, <laughs> we were touring in Mexico and I remember just listening I think the song Loretto I was sitting on the luggage waiting for the tour guys to come take us away of course they were late and uh, just it was the perfect soundtrack for that exact moment and I have a picture perfect of that in my mind uh, let's talk about this new record let's talk about you mentioned that it finally got to happen because of the pandemic was there ever a moment that you guys didn't want to release it because it was a pandemic you wanted to really to tour it or what was the whole mindset with that no um we right from the start when we were working on this we we did not even give a thought to touring like let's not even worry about that let's not even think about that because you've got four different guys in four different cities well trevor and john are both in new york with different parts um and just coordinating anything has always been hard and it was even harder now because the pandemic was coming in and you know, that upheaval, that there was upheaval with people's things that they had already scheduled and now we're getting rescheduled. So we, let's not even think about it. Yeah, it was nice to finally get it done. And it, the timing actually worked out. I think, um, I mean, it took a while. It took longer than I would have liked for this album. We started working on this like two, three years ago and it should have come out sooner. Um, but, you know, things, things happen. And um, so the pandemic, like I said, mentioned forced Patton to stay home and finish it. <laughs> And then we managed to get it mixed and mastered and packaged and out there. And now it seems like the timing is right. Things are starting to open up and people, it's spring, people are, hey, here's some new rock to listen to, take our minds off of, you know, our troubles. And um, we're happy to do that. Love the record. It's just awesome to have new Tomahawk material out there. Uh, You you mentioned that it it took quite some time to get this done is that frustrating for you because you know working with Patton he is a very very busy individual um, 
it is hard to work with people like that. And was there a moment where it's, you were frustrated having to wait? Is that something that, you know, you created something, you had to sit on it for so many years, or is it just come with the package working with Patton? It kind of comes with the package. Um, it, we, I, I think I had a kind of a different view of it. You know, the first, the first two albums came out within three years of each other. Like there was 2001 and 2003. And we even when we played a lot of shows, even in 2002, we did a tour like where we opened for Tool for eight weeks. And then we came Then the third album came up. So it seemed like we were on it. And and um, and then there was a lot of time downtime between the other albums. Though. And and I said, OK, now this is more like it. This is more like, I guess, how it is. And, you know, we all had other things going on. So I just figured, well, it's just going to take some time. But it's just kind of how it is. <laughs> it seems like you're almost tied. Your hands are tied in the situation. You just have to take it as it goes. Well, and things come up and, and just weird, odd things. Pat and his other groups and then the occasional health problem and then other problems and things and this and that and then pandemic. You know, but right from the start with this group, there's always been something going on. Like our very first record was delayed because of 9-11. It was supposed to come out, I think, that day. I think that was a Monday or something. And obviously, everything got, everything was up in the air for at least a month. Um, so there's always been something kind of hanging over us. You guys are obviously a super group. Um, I know, but <laughs> it's 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 hard with super groups. A lot of the time, people get. You know, the, the hype is more than the album. And I think that that doesn't work with Tomahawk. You guys are a, a great band and stand up to the term supergroup. When, when you guys were putting this band together, were you afraid that the, the hype of being a supergroup would overshadow the material? No, we didn't think about it. And it that no one called it that. And um, that that seemed to catch on later. That came out, you know, maybe well after the first album was out. And then people started calling it. And we never thought about that. I mean, Jesus, uh, what, the bass player from the Cows and the Melvins and then, uh, you know, the guitarist from the Jesus Lizard. And now, oh, now it's a super group. It's like, boy, the, the, the levels, the bar seems to have dropped. <laughs> also, right from the start, we, we played with the exception of maybe live when you'd sometimes for, um, for an uh, encore, we play cover. Whenever I hear the term super group, to me... Usually what it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but usually it's like some, a bunch of celebrities getting together and playing covers. That, that's what, it, that's what it, the image comes up with me, whether it's, you know, the Hollywood vampires or, or whoever else, where you get a bunch of kind of over-the-hill celebrities together and play some cover songs. Um, and we don't do that. And that, that was never us. We play some covers now and then, but, you know, that's, the main thing is original material. Uh -huh. And original music, original lyrics, original sounds, and all that. Um, so it never bothered me. It never, I never thought about that. If people want to call it that, that's fine. That's not what it is. A lot of times, you know, the supergroup thing, I think in the past maybe people did it, and it was they were obviously chasing money and fame more than anything. And we're doing this at an independent level, a very small, controllable thing. Yeah, we make money at this. And yeah, you know, we get a certain amount of notoriety from it. But that's not the driving concern. We want to make good music, original music, and something leave something behind that's good that people will like and, and appreciate. So um, no, they call it whatever they want. 
<laughs> what what where do you go to get your inspiration for new material uh you mentioned that it happens at the library whether it be through music the or- library <laughs> <laughs> um it could be anything um obviously i i don't think isolation is good uh if you're trying well, some people they get this idea that oh i'm going to isolate and that way it'll be more original like no it won't I, it won't. Usually when people isolate, they come out with something and it's, they don't, it's something that's already out there. They just don't realize it huh. because they aren't listening to what else is out there. So I think that um, keeping an ear on what's current, whether it's on the radio or what you're, in my case, what my kid listens to or what I hear kids talking about, you know, um, things you read, things you read at the library, things I see in magazines or books are like, and one, one thing leads to another and Oh, this composer says that this composer is really good. And like, oh, really? I need to go listen to that. I try to listen, try to, on the one hand, listen to what's current, but not too much because I'm not a slave to the charts. I'm not trying to keep up with the, the latest sounds and the latest producer and the latest this. But on the other hand, so there's that. And then I'll listen to everything, like whether it's chamber music or orchestral music or soundtracks or things. Um, Listening to just rock bands can be boring after a while. Listening to anything exclusively is boring. But um, I've grown up listening to rock stuff. And then as I've gotten older, I've kind of branched out more and getting ideas from other things. Even electronic things, electronic music has its charms. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy you know a sampler and this and just strictly push buttons and <laughs> have a laptop on stage and just sit there and wave and hit buttons. <laughs> That's not what people would want, and that's not what what I want to do. No. So I'm from all over the place, you know. What would be a modern artist artist that that really has captivated you recently? Every now and then, as far as like as far as composers, just people who write music, people who write music and then get have it performed either by chamber groups or orchestras, whatever. There's a Dutch composer, Louis Andriessen. And he is a minimalist composer. So uh, a lot of his stuff, especially if you listen to the chamber music, he'll write for electric guitars and keyboards and things. And it can be very brutally repetitive and grinding and dissonant. And just some of it is hard to listen. Like it sounds like it's 15 minutes straight of this just grinding circular thing. Um, it's not all like that. He, he does some sort of almost opera type things that I don't really care for. But um I really like the sort of the minimalist composers, the ones you, you would pull back, say Philip Glass, Steve Reich, John Adams, stuff like that. And now there's like a new generation of them sort of coming out. Louis Andreessen is not a young man, but he's still new to, I think, North American audiences. Um, so there's one. Um, every now and then people will give me guitar albums by a guy. They're like, you got to listen to this guy. And on the one hand, I'm oftentimes impressed, but I don't, there's not that much I really want to hear. For instance, um, there's, it seems like it's like the Olympics now. Some of the guitar uh-huh. players I hear, like uh, uh, there's a kid, I think from DC, Tosin Abasi. Yep. Who, and you know who that is? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And just astonishing. It's astonishing to me when I hear it. It's bewildering. I can't, I can't even imagine how he's doing some of those. And I've, I've watched even and it's just it's just flabbergasting it's impressive but after about 10 15 minutes i don't want to i I don't want to hear anymore Hmm. um i want to hear songs i want to hear riffs beats i want to hear a vocalist i want to hear you know and so uh, you know i'll listen to different 
types of guitar players, whether it's that or, um, oh, I had people said, you got to listen to some of the new African guitar players of the guy Degare, who I kind of like, or they'd say, um, there, there's occasional, um, or jazz guys, um, guy from Chicago that used to plays with tortoise, um, Jeff Parker, who I really like his, his stuff. Um, Nels Klein, I think, is a great all-around guitar player. Plays with Wilco and played with Mike Watts and plays with different people. Um, so, you know, but as far as any one thing in particular, no, I would say the closest thing would be uh, that composer, Louis Andreessen, is probably my favorite and has been an enduring favorite for about the last, God, 10, 15 years. That's awesome. I definitely, definitely will be checking that out. I like the dissonant 15-minute disturbing stuff and just repetitive <laughs> grinding repetitive stuff there's an album uh done by a chamber group called bang on a can oh i know that bang on a can, and they're from new york and um if you can find that one that that that's really good you know some of it he gets weird you know they all get weird and do things that you're kind of like oh, all right but yeah that's awesome um we have to talk about metal it's vox and hops it's all about beer and metal uh when i said i played an extreme metal band before you made a face so i'm curious what your opinion on extreme metal is i don't i don't even think i know what it is anymore um for me right now if when i'm looking at my albums if somebody said what metal do you have i would say well i have high on fire i have i have mastodon both of whom I really like. I know those some of those guys and great, you know, respect. Um, Meshuggah. Hell yeah. You like Meshuggah? Mm. Yeah. I, when I heard them, I, I, I couldn't believe that. I just thought that some of the things they were doing rhythmically, and I saw them, actually I saw them with High on Fire a couple of years ago. What a great show that was. Um, stuff like that it, I, I enjoy. But once again, in, in increments, it seems like, I don't know if it's age or what, but like 20 minutes in, it seems like so much of it is so thick and so um, there's so much going on so much of the time and it, there's just overload for me. I get full really quickly. Let's put it that way. It's like I'm eating. So I can only eat so much anymore. I can't eat as much as I used to. Can't drink as much as I used to. I get full quick. But yeah, high on fire, Mastodon. And to me, Meshuggah, I heard them like in the late 90s. And to me at a point, that was a point when that genre really to me took off when uh -huh. that kind of math metal uh -huh. I, I they used to call it um voivod oh yeah they're from your, your neck of the woods yep. aren't they yeah i've seen them too um so yeah I, I if i i like stuff like that um there's still a lot out there i know i haven't heard and i and i might um a lot of times what puts me off more than about any kind of band but especially it seems like with metal is the is vocals like if, if it's just the, the low sort of growling thing, okay. <laughs> I can only take so much of it. I can only, it's like, I want to hear, okay, okay. You can do that for a song or two and I'll do something in a different pitch register, do something, maybe spoke, just talk over those riffs, <laughs> turn it up loud so I can hear you and do like a creepy whisper voice with effects. Do something like that. Don't <laughs> song after song. It almost gets silly after a while, and I know people are going to want to are going to come looking for me <laughs> no, and no. kill me. It just seems like it loses anything, just like anything. It loses impact if you overdo it. That's true. That's true. Uh, let's talk about 
a tomahawk beer. Have you guys ever thought about making a beer collab? There's a whole bunch of these going on in the world. Uh, I yeah. have a bunch going on for myself. Um, have you ever thought about making a tomahawk brew? We haven't. No, I would like that. Um, I don't know if we could agree on what it would be. Um, I prefer because, well, a couple of the other guys don't really drink much anymore at all. So it's funny if people get older, there's kind of a rate of attrition where they start dropping out where they don't drink anymore. And I still drink, you know, just not as much, you know, I do as I do everything I always did when I was younger, only just not as much, like not as often, not as the frequency and intensity and duration have cut gone down and they have to. Otherwise, if you're over, if you're 40, 50, 60, and you're still, you know, chugging huge amounts of alcohol, doing hard drugs, et cetera, smoking heavily, you're fucked, man. Mm-hmm. And you're going to look it. You're going to oh, look yeah. bad and you're going to feel bad. You won't make it. Um, so I would have a beer that was like a, a clear, I like vice beer. Like I like, like blue moon and I like yeah, yeah. vice beers like that. Um, I, I wouldn't mind something like that. I got to say, I, in general, I'm not just saying this because I'm on your show, but I growing up in Michigan, I really liked Canadian beers. I really, really liked I mean, the, the big ones, Labatt's, Molson's, Old Vienna. Um, do they still even have that? That one, no. No, but the other two, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I just thought it was a good balance between, you know, American, the domestic beer tends to be watery, weak, and sometimes has a weird aftertaste. The European stuff is good. It was expensive. And so when I was a kid, so to me, the Canadian beer was the good in-between, like, it's not as fancy or expensive as the European, but it's better than the American stuff. So we would drink that. And that's why, to me, when the craft thing came along, I didn't need it. I kind of thought, you know, you, why there's this other stuff that I like just as well or better. And you can go to any store and get it. It's right there. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, let's wrap this up with a classic Vox and Hops wrap-up question. Uh, it probably doesn't happen to you very much anymore because you just mentioned that you slowed down on all your bad habits, but uh, every once in a while it happens to everyone. Uh, what is your hangover cure? Oh, like, yeah, I try to avoid them. Boy, at my age, hangovers are just debilitating. But um, I find that um, Coca-Cola and, and Tylenol, like the sugar and caffeine, and then either Tylenol or Aleve, one or the other, not so much aspirin. I think you need to, you need to get something bigger. Um, something full on, um, but but definitely with the Coca Cola in there, um, even it, it will make you feel better just temporarily, just enough to get through for say a couple hours. So if you have to be cheerful and cogent and deal with people, that will get you through. Awesome, Dwayne. Thank you so so much for taking the time having a chat with me, talking about your life, music, and craft beer. I I really really appreciate it. Everyone, go check out Tonic Immobility. It is a great record, and I am so stoked that there's new Tomahawk in the world. I needed it, and I know that everyone else did, too. Thank you. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, was I ever nervous for this interview. I've been listening to Tomahawk since they started. A huge, huge Mike Patton fan in the early 2000s, and I basically just listened to everything that he was a part of, and Tomahawk was one of those bands. Uh, Really, really enjoyed my chat with Dwayne. I really enjoyed his creative process, where he gathers riffs from, uh, where he gathers 
influences from just an awesome human and a great, great conversation. And I love how much he would probably dislike my vocals in Cryptopsy. I think that was amazing. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list. You could do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week containing all of the details of everything that is happening in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, including all the information for any episodes which I've dropped throughout the past week, if I've been a guest on someone else's podcast, all the cool information about any projects which I'm involved in, such as Vox and Hops' Brutal North America. I'm so stoked for that to come at the end of this month, as well as the updated links to the Thirsty Thursday Virtual Hang and the links to the Brutal Awakenings playlist, which is available on both Spotify and Apple Music and is curated by my man Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself. So please do me a favor and sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast's mailing list because there is so much going on in the world of Vox and Hops, and I would hate for you to miss a single thing. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. I have one more episode coming up this Friday, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now. Hey you, did you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.